0: Hello, and welcome back to Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you. I'm Adam, an English teacher who went to China in 2014 and taught English in a small city near Shanghai. This podcast tells the story of my troubled first year, so if you're new to the show, I'd encourage you to start at the beginning. That said, alongside the main story, many episodes focus much more on other issues about Chinese history and culture, and you don't really need to be following the story to listen to that part. Okay, on with the show. winter break was approaching. The other names for this most revered of Chinese holidays are Spring Festival, Chinese New Year and Lunar New Year. The date is dependent on the lunar cycle and the new year ushers in a new animal from the Chinese zodiac. Being born in the years of the monkey, dragon, tiger or pig is sometimes seen as a bonus because of the various lucky aspects of these animals. This year, 2023, is the year of the rabbit. The story goes that the Jade Emperor decided that the Order of the Zodiac would be decided by the order in which the animals arrived at his party. Well, of course, the rabbit is a zippy little beast. But arrogance got the better of him. Just like in Aesop's fable, the rabbit decided to take a nap, and he arrived fourth at the party, behind the ox that he'd always mocked for being slow. When will these rabbits learn? Today. 5th of February happens to be the date of the Lantern Festival, the finale of the Lunar New Year holiday which takes place two weeks after New Year's Day. But at this particular time in our tale, 2015, the unlucky year of the ram was just over the horizon. And just before that, tests. Examinations in China. Important, numerous, and fiddled down to the last question. My little tykes, at eight years old, were already veterans of the examination system. Tests for the Chinese probably begin in the womb, and continue beyond the grave. Penny theorised that it makes adults wary of knowledge, disinterested in trivia, hence the lack of pub quizzes. Chinese education does not instil in the mind a thirst for learning, goes the popular wisdom. School is about tests, tests are about memory, and memory is done by rote. Penny had a telling tale about education in the Middle Kingdom. A 14-year-old student named Faye wrote her homework. In it, she wrote, Making mistakes is inevitable, but sometimes it is more important than success. I had difficulty in writing English essay. At the beginning, I wrote simple words and sentences to avoid make mistake. But when I made mistakes, my teacher would cheer me up and patiently point out the mistake. After a long time, I built up my confidence, and now I am not afraid of making mistakes. Her teacher was so appalled by this work that she was kicked out of the QQ group, which is like a WhatsApp group that allowed students to communicate online. And then she was rebuked for not taking the assignment seriously. All the way up to university, students routinely cheat on their homework. Teachers, for their part, are too pressed for time to mark students' homework accurately. Parents bribe the teachers for the promise of preferential treatment, which in practice probably means fudged scores rather than more attention. In a sense, education is a good dry run for the real world here, where mutual favours and relationships are paramount. Each party colludes with the next to get the grades up, a drive caused by the vast numbers of people, competition, and the wish to get that one child the best future they could possibly have. Meet a young high school student and ask him or her what they do in their free time, and don't be surprised if they tell you. Homework. And so it was that I was teaching the kids with the command, I say, you say, for a full week before tests began. Literally drilling them with the answers in the test. Literally the answers. I was telling them exactly what they would be, and just hoping they would remember it. The school didn't have actual tests already prepared. There was no examination board. The teachers were asked to design them individually. Abe, the overseer in the international department, Jane's underling, would quickly glance at these tests and sign them off as being okay. Had I shown him a test with questions about atomic nuclei, I'm sure he still would have signed them off. Anyway, the kids in my class did okay in their tests, I'm happy to say. Not that there was any other option for them. Meanwhile, there was someone I had to say thank you to. The school's biology teacher, a woman named Shu, had gone out of her way to get me a big raincoat, and I wanted to convey my appreciation for that. All-girl art class Lily had told me who she was, She's very pretty. and and had not so subtly suggested that I should have an affair with her. if you want to date her, maybe you can. which was a bit of a leap. I can keep it a secret. It was the mid-morning break, a Tuesday, and that instrumental version of John Lennon's Imagine was playing through the loudspeakers. I was in Lily's room, and asked her, Where is the biology class? biology, she said. Why? And then the penny dropped. Her voice lowered. You want to see teacher Shu sure. Well, I should say thank you for that coat she got me, I said. You must be a little careful, said Lily. People talk in the school, and for the foreigners even more. I paused to consider this. Surely a simple thanks would be harmless. But I will keep your secret, she continued, and began giving me directions to the biology class. She pointed out the window, across the Garden of Meditation, up to the third floor, she said. The biology class is there. Biology in Chinese is... Shung She wrote it on a post-it note in Chinese, brushing away interested children who were beginning to surround us, and told me it should be written on the door. She bit her lip for a moment, and handed me the note. Now go, she said. See you later, I replied, and went to leave. Adam, Lily whispered loudly, stopping me at the door. She's bad. Five minutes till class, no problem. I made my way up to the third floor and scanned the door for the magical Chinese characters denoting biology. Kids swarmed, twice the size of the ones down in my world. I pushed a couple of them to the side and went into the classroom. Shu had changed. I realised with alarm she'd become a dumpy balding man. Ni hao, I replied. Jushi shi Is this the third floor, may I ask? Si he said. Fourth floor. Oh, oh. The man grinned broadly at me. He's lovely, I thought, but he's not Shu. I'd evidently forgotten that in China, the ground floor is the first floor. I'd wasted valuable break time by carrying the one or by not carrying the one. Whatever. Now isn't the time for maths. Must find Xu. But one thing still bugged me. Shong Wuxue, I said, pointing to the Chinese characters on the door. Biology? Deia, the man replied. Correct. Need a Zhongwen jianbang. Your Chinese really is very good. I hastened down to the real third floor, wondering how I'd managed to find another biology teacher on the fourth floor in a school with only one biology teacher but there will be plenty of time to talk about this with Shu, I told myself. Finding the magic words once again on another door, I peered through the doorway. Shu was there scribbling something in a notebook. She looked calm, impervious to the noise that twenty or so young teens make in their break time. An instrumental sound of silence by Simon and Garfunkel was playing now on the loudspeakers. It was the last song of the break time. We were almost out of time. Hey, shoo, I said. By 3pm, sometimes earlier, school is over. The children remain with the Chinese staff, schooling until dusk. But the foreign teachers are free. Often, we did little with this freedom, being as we were on the outskirts of the city in something of a dead end. But the winter was finally receding, and there were places to go. So Jess and I went to RT Mart, the American style mall in the city. We went on the bike, and I returned on a brand new push bike, shiny red, paid for with a 1000 RMB gift voucher come bribe from Angela's dad. Mentioned back in episode 22, the silkworms will weave until they die was the name of that episode. I went outside to do a couple of bunny hops and realised that this bike was not very good, but it was a Ferrari compared to the school's bicycle. The bike ushered in a whole new world of freedom. Goodbye to those taxi drivers who'd take detours around the city to pick up more fares. Who'd stop to get fuel and leave the meter running. Who'd see my western face and refuse to pick me up. It happened. Goodbye to the number four bus, with its achingly slow weaving through downtown traffic, rickshaws and pedestrians bounding into the road. Goodbye to the e-bikes that the school provided to us Lao-Wai teachers. To the anxiety that came with not knowing if they'd already been taken by another teacher to the dwindling battery which left me rushing red lights at comically slow speeds being watched by bemused drivers in massive haulage trucks. With this new freedom I found new horizons, locations out of reach for those mere walkers or coach users. After the frozen horror of pneumonia and the paranoia-inducing life behind the guarded school gates, maybe, just maybe, I was living again. Or maybe not. According to the new guy, I just went from work to home to work to home. I remember, home was within the school gates, a mere five minute walk from the classroom. I didn't even know Johnny Burgers, he observed with exasperation, before telling me I should get out a little more. This was Dodie, and Dodie was new. Eddie had been memorably dismissed for launching textbooks at unsuspecting 12 year olds and hollering expletives at the ceiling in a wild rage. He had returned to America to get married, leaving us with the task of covering his oral English classes. But now Dodie had taken them on. Dodie would take anything on. Dodie was a hero. Dodie was from South Africa. He was broad and stout, the colour of fine coffee, with keen eyes which appeared to work as antennae, independently of one another. He'd worked as a supervisor at a local English school for adults and planned to move to New Zealand eventually to raise his son on a farm. His Chinese wife didn't want to do this, but as he put it, if I take her son, she will follow. He spoke with the knowing tone of a man who'd been told from birth that other people were dipshits, but could be carefully guided away from their idiocy with the help of his guiding hand. He brought that hand to the cradle of elites and set about putting people straight. His real name was Farouk, we discovered at the departmental meeting. But only my mother calls me Farouk, he added. So doady it was. He slipped into the general pattern of things quickly, going to the teacher's lounge after lunch where he shared some of his wisdom. He was from a rare Muslim diaspora which had migrated over the years to South Africa and thus had the exceptional status of being hated by both factions of the racially divided country. We'd sit at the little table beside the window or on the regal, oversized sofas sharing stories of school days so far, concerns with kids and the job. After telling me that I was laconic, he went on to detail the etymology of the word, its basis in Spartan diplomacy. And so the Athenians sent word to the Spartans to tell them something like, if we conquer your city, we will kill your people and rape your women. And the Spartans simply replied, if. That's you, Adam, laconic. Dodie wasn't content to just tell me about my own character. He was also happy to use his insight on my home country. How do you know there are so many foreign women in London? He asked with a grin. Because they are beautiful. Arizona man guffawed at the joke, and Dodie leaned over with a smile and explained. Because British women are ugly. He then went on to give some sound advice about dealing with the Chinese. Having been here longer than us, his advice, so it seemed, was foolproof almost a central reading for the new alaowai. They lie, he was saying, in reference to the Chinese teachers, as he sat there on the golden sofa throne, one leg crossed over the other, holding his coffee rather daintily. It's a power struggle, and if they are to get on with the managers, they have to prove themselves somehow. This comes in the form of lies, deceit, and gossip. Do this and they get trust from those above. And with that might come new opportunities. So when a teacher comes up to you and says something like, so-and-so said such-and-such about you, you call them out on it. Often they are spreading rumours, lying. Get to the source, solve the problem. I told him that we don't really have that kind of atmosphere in grade one, but apparently that was just me being naive. This is China, he said. Maybe you just don't see it yet. Just watch your back, okay?